Welcome to the Delta. Today we wanted to address almost an us versus the virus again because it's still not done. As longtime listeners know, I contracted COVID about a month ago and documented that experience and then came back. We will start discussing a little bit of education as well as to put some of the DNA and RNA vaccination myths to rest. But I was supposed to come back on and there was an experience that we had over the past two weeks and I wanted to share that experience with you and have my wife come on and Christine and I to discuss what happened with our daughter who contracted something called MISC, which is a complicating syndrome after you have had COVID after about a month. And it not necessarily is something where we just want to do tug on the heartstrings of our listeners, but more so to increase awareness, to let us know that there are long-term ramifications, complications that come from COVID-19 that we don't completely understand yet. As the science continues to develop, there are things that we didn't actually see coming. At least my wife and I didn't see coming, and I had no idea even existed until I went through this experience. So today we wanted to share that with you, um, our story, and almost say, why are we still in this? And what does it mean for the future of us and our children? We are back um, to the Delta. My name is Nicholas Linky again, and I'm here joined by my wife, Christina Linky. And we are wanting to share with you a story, a personal story. As most of you know that are longtime listeners, I contracted COVID about a month ago and went through that process. I was on with Adam to be able to talk about my experiences right after I was diagnosed pretty much. And then I came back and wanted to share some more of my purpose about how I thought the Delta was going to go. And unfortunately, after that, um, we had an experience over the past two weeks that has really kind of changed our viewpoint on all of this. And I brought my wife in to be able to share most of that story with you because she was on the front lines of that. She was more so in tune with what was going on than I was uh, as I kind of took care of the rest of the family and try to keep that stuff going. But without further ado, I want to go ahead and just turn it over to her to kind of share what we were, what, what we'd experienced for this past month. So go ahead and tell us what's going on. Like tell us, tell, tell them what has actually happened for our past two weeks. Yeah. So not this past Friday, but the Friday before that, uh, our middle daughter, our middle kiddo, she started to feel sick. She said, mom, my neck hurts. And I said, no, you're fine. You don't have a fever. You can just go to school. Uh, you're okay. And so she went to school and they kind of pulled her off the bus at the end of it and said, well, she doesn't have a fever and her throat looks great, but she was still complaining about her neck and her head and not feeling well in her stomach. So I said, just put her on the bus to me. I'm, you know, she's kind of dramatic anyway. So it, she's, for the most part, I'm sure she's fine. So Saturday about midnight, she woke me up. And I could tell she was warm, but I did not, you know, I didn't test her. I just 
felt her, knew she was warm. So I gave her something. When she woke up later, uh, probably around 7 or 8 in the morning on Saturday, she I tested her then and she uh, turned out to be at 104.3. So I immediately called in and made an appointment. Took her to urgent care, got her tested for COVID, did a rapid, did a PCR. The rapid came back negative. Uh, the day, uh, the PCR took about a day to come back. And it, of course, also came back negative. So we were kind of confused. I thought it might just be the flu. And Sunday, her lymph nodes were huge. They were so swollen. Uh, it freaked me out. So M- Nicholas took her back to urgent care. And they said lymph nodes were symmetrical. Everything seemed okay. She looked great. Not sure why she was getting the fevers. So just to jump in here, whenever I took her to urgent care for the second time to be able to do that, they were describing what her physical symptoms looked like. And they were rest assured that this is a natural process of fighting off an infection. As as most of you know, the lymph nodes of the lymphatic system is where the immune system starts fighting off infectious diseases and kind of concentrates it in these specific spots inside of our body. And when we say that they were symmetrical, she was suffering from pain in both sides of her neck. But whenever they were felt, it was not anything to be concerned with one side being affected or the other. There were other things going on with our daughter that we were worried about ear infections. We were worried about some other things that were going on. But it was one of those things that we were looking at how the whole anatomy of our daughter was as a holistic thing because at that point in time and i want to make this kind of clear at that point in time we had no idea what we were dealing with nobody knew what we were dealing with and as we were going through almost a rolodex of different things trying to figure out what is this problem that my daughter is feeling because the symptoms match some things but you don't want to go too far down the rabbit hole of you know Google and WebMD and start (laughs) diagnosing these things because then you start to actually concern yourself about things that are very rare. You're like, oh, it's it's how they talk about with doctors that most of them are looking for zebras in their medical research when actually it's just most of the time horses. So at that point in time, we're like, what's the horse? What's actually going on that's a simple explanation that's not going to be this dramatic thing that we're really going to have to worry about? So after I was there, it was a stormy day. And I drove back in the rain. I was more happy about being home and being released from urgent care and saying, like, okay, you guys can go home. I think everything's going to be okay. Then I was really worried about trying to take care of what she might actually be suffering from. Right. So I came home and pretty much turned over my um, the process over to the doctors and said, well, we'll wait and see. We will wait and see. But that's not what we saw. <laughs> right. So she missed school Monday. She missed school Tuesday. You know, you can't send a kid to school with a fever. Even though she didn't have COVID, she could have still been contagious. So I completely understand that. And this whole time, I had been in contact with the pediatrician. And she had said, well, if you notice uh, any kind of rashes, maybe on her body or anything like that, then then maybe you should bring her in. And so Tuesday evening... Her lymph nodes were, again, they were massive. I'd never seen anybody's lymph nodes get that big, that swollen before. But I noticed that it was one of them. The one on the left was super bright red. And at that point, I said, I can't just sit at home. I have to bring her in. It's I do not want to know what the alternative would be if I would have waited and something were really wrong. Right. So at this time... 
just to put it in context of the Delta, my wife is sitting on the steps. I walk up to her and I said, tonight we're supposed to record episode 11 of the Delta and talk about some of the things that are on my mind about the educational system and all of these different things that are going on in the news and trying to re reposition ourselves, not necessarily not on COVID and the Delta variant, but more so just kind of taking a, a broader perspective on politics, education, and science. And I look at her and I go, if we didn't have the podcast to talk about tonight, what would you be doing? And she said, I'd already have left. And I said, then that's what needs to be done. So she left and went straight to the hospital to be able to figure out what what's going on. Right. So we sat, we checked in at about 8.30 Tuesday evening and we were in the ER. She had gotten an IV. We've, you know, we were kind of in and out of sleep and we waited there. We already knew we were going to have to be checked in. They had already talked about getting us a bed upstairs. But by the time we went upstairs, it was probably about 5 o'clock in the morning. So we waited there. We had multiple tests. After we already had gotten checked in and all that, and we slept a little bit, we had, she still had not ever gotten rid of her fevers since that Saturday morning. Uh, she had couple days of multiple tests because they had to slowly weed out everything that it wasn't before they could determine what it was. So at this time, we're looking at mostly like getting rid of the horses. We're making sure that it's not all of these potential horses and we're starting to figure out that it might be the zebra. Like that's what we're really looking at at this point in time. Like what is the unique thing, the rare thing that my daughter's primarily potentially dealing with? Right. So in the end... The doctors came back in and they said, well, we're looking at either Kawasaki disease or uh, something that is a complication that pops up in children about a month after they've gotten COVID. And when you got COVID, we, we had no idea where it had come from. And we thought maybe it was her, but she didn't really show any symptoms. So it couldn't have been her, but maybe, I don't know. Uh, and so... And just to put this in perspective, all this is going down. We had that music teacher, school district, related to our school district, as far as that's the same school district. They had just dropped the mask mandate. Our children went to the same school, how that all worked out. And then two weeks later, I contract COVID. I'm, I'm in the basement and all of that. And my children are still up and wandering around. They're still dealing with it in their own way as far as just being isolated in quarantine. So now we're a month later. We're a month down the road. We're, I'm back to work. We've been back to school. We've tried to do this. My daughter comes off the bus. She's not feeling well. And we go through this entire process. And now we're in the hospital trying to figure out if it's these two different potential diseases or syndromes that seem like zebras. And meanwhile, we had gotten blood work done. She had to do a blood draw and... I had asked, well, is there any way that you could test her just to see if she has antibodies for COVID? And the pediatrician said, yeah, we could probably do that. You know, she has enough of the stuff left. Yeah, we'll do that. And she came back and she said, yes, she did have COVID antibodies. So we were kind of shocked, but we knew it had to have come from school. We just didn't know who brought it in because we'd never tested them. We just kind of put them on quarantine. So that was part of the information that the doctors used, that the hospital used to formulate the diagnosis 
they cut out everything else and finally came back a couple days later and said, so we're looking at something called MISC or MISC. I've, I've heard it say said both ways, but it's multi-system inflammatory syndrome in children. The C is for the in children part. And so it happens, like I said, about a month after, uh, after contracting COVID in children. And so this is also a condition, just to clarify, there is a MIS a, which also occurs in adults. And this is a very rare syndrome that occurs. They're just finding out about it. It is newly researched. It's one of those things that we're, we're still trying to piece it together. So the information is researched right now, new. Like it is, it is something that we are investigating right now. They're having conferences on it right now to try to figure out what's going on. And when we first talked to our doctor, for the for the children's doctor, um, this was this was something on the table. This was something that wasn't like a super surprise to everyone. A lot of people that were looking at this going, this seems like it's MISC. But the but the issue that I'm pointing that out for is that we had to go through all of these other horses to find the zebra after we knew it might be the zebra. All the signs are pointing to say this is what it is, and unfortunately, with insurance and all of the things that need to go into making that medical diagnosis, it is a process where she had to wait in the hospital with fevers, with bed rest, with all that type of stuff, just to make sure that this was exactly the syndrome that she had, to pinpoint it. And the doctor even said they won't, the pediatrician, she said, yeah, they won't even test you for Kawasaki disease unless you've had nonstop fevers for five days. And then they consider it. Right. So they had to narrow it all down and based on the fact that she did have COVID before. And, you know, another thing that the doctor, her doctor there said was, you know, you came just at the right time. And for a second, I thought he meant I didn't wait too long. I brought her in before it got too bad, which I truly believe I did. But what he meant was, because he started to explain it later, we've seen this for about a year now. If you would have brought it to us about a year ago um, or not that long ago, then we wouldn't have as many answers now for the way to treat it. So it's that novel. It's that novel and that rare that a year ago they wouldn't have known actually what it was. So as COVID, we've been living with it for a little while. We are still figuring out the long-term effects of what this does. The respiratory illness of, of seeing how it affects individuals for those number of days that they are in quarantine or that they're wrestling with it, whether it be a huge infection where they're in the hospital on a respirator or there be a mild thing where they feel like they just have the flu for a couple days. There are long-term ramifications for some people. And one of those people for the long-term ramifications was my middle child, my daughter. Yeah. So she got an IV when she got there. So the majority of the stuff went through there, but there were multiple times where she had to have blood draws because she couldn't get it from the IV. She had multiple tests done, blood tests, EKG, and echo, uh, heart ultrasound. She was given, she also, she gave urine samples. And in the end, after they figured out what to diagnose it as, they realized that they had been giving her antibiotics constantly through an IV. And then after they figured out what it was, they said, you know, I'm, I'm okay with her being off the antibiotics. We're going to give her this IVIG infusion. And it, you know, depending on their weight, however long it takes, you know. And I think for her, it was only one 
dose, but it took eight hours or so, you know, give or take an hour or something. But I do remember that when she got hooked up, it wasn't done until midnight. So she finally passed out right around then. But I mean, watching her have to deal with all of that when she's done her job, she's worn her mask. And she's eight years old. Right. So this is the situation that we're dealing with right now as far as last week. We're, we're not on the pod. We're not, we're not joining because currently she's, she's recovering now. Not to be this whole like dramatic thing that she, she's going to be going back to school. She will be in school when this, when this comes out. But the thing is, is that this is, even though it's a rare condition, it's a very big reality for us right now. And honestly, this IV, IG, which is actually, it stands for an intravenous immunoglobulin therapy, uh, they pump it for, like I said, however long it takes. Thankfully, she only needed one dose, but they said, you know, it's it's a miracle drug. It's a, she'll start to turn around in less than 24 hours. So she took it, and then the next morning, she could completely move her neck, where, as before, she would move her head and her whole body together because I couldn't even graze her neck to try to put her hair back without her flinching. And anytime they had to check her temperature, the one that goes across the head and back behind the ear, she did not like it. She It really hurt. And... So one of the things that they told us when they did the heart ultrasound was that she had fluid in her pericardial sac around her heart. And there are, because it is a multi-system disorder, uh, they said that it could show inflammation anywhere. I believe for now it is only shown up around her heart. And so whether or not she walked away from that feeling so much better, she doesn't have all of her energy back yet, but whether or not she walked away from there feeling better, no fever, no swollen lymph nodes, able to move her neck, the fact is, is that for months, maybe up to a year, we have to follow up with cardiology, with rheumatology, we have multiple follow-up appointments she has to continue taking steroids baby aspirin so she doesn't get blood clots because that is a complicating factor that pops up when this with this as well and so but she has to do that for long after the fact that she has been discharged which is disheartening for any parent to feel like at any second something could go wrong so the question is and i went ahead and went back to school. I was off on Thursday and Friday myself to be able to take care of our other two kiddos. And I went back today and the conversation that I had with my students is they were curious where I was. And when I presented it like this, and this is the kind of direction that I also wanted to take to make sure that we're all on the same page, is that we are at the stage right now where it's it's not a gentle careful consideration about whether or not we should be vaccinating and who should be vaccinating and whether or not it's political or scientific. At this stage, we are 
seeing the long-term ramifications of people not getting vaccinated, and it's affecting children. I made the comment with my wife before that we've selected in a certain respect for this, and this is what we're seeing now that are rare cases, but they do happen, and it's unnecessary. It could be obviously very easily prevented, or at least limited, to such a significant degree that my daughter would have not possibly had been in the hospital. And if that doesn't pull on heartstrings, if that's not enough of a case to say don't put kids in the hospital where they have to go through this experience and have an infusion for eight hours and all of that that goes into making sure that a child can survive by this life-saving drug, it also comes down to what is the price of freedom? What, what is the price of freedom? If it's not that we're saying that the kids can actually have the burden of whether or not they survive our unwillingness to get vaccinated or wear masks or social distance or be able to quarantine properly. If that's not enough of the price, this IVIG, we were told, was a very expensive medication. So I went and did some research, and I found out for one treatment, it's almost $10,000. We hopefully will not see any of that. I don't know. The real concern is, is that that money is going to come from somewhere. So is the real price of freedom that we're really worried about is that taxpayer dollars are going to have to somehow filter through the healthcare system and then eventually find its way to the insurance to be able to pay off my daughter's life-saving treatment? I mean, is that now the cost of freedom? Is that the price that now we have to actually reconcile? Does it have to be monetary? Because that's a pretty hefty price tag to save my daughter's life. And I don't want to trivialize it. I don't want to say like that we're saying that, you know, she's better now and it's all okay. Because that's not appropriate. My daughter, because it's been a year since they first started investigating this, since it's actually been considered and since they've done research on it, and science itself through all of these processes, through all of its betrayal from people not actually believing in it, it has come through to provide a miracle drug and a treatment that my daughter was eventually able to use because doctors and scientists are working diligently to save people. My daughter did everything she possibly could. She did everything that we asked her to do. Stayed home during the first year of COVID to be able to do homeschool with my wife. Wears her mask even despite them not having the recommendations. And I could go on and on about everything and this, you know, self-righteousness, but that's not what this is about. What it really is, is that it's a plea. It's a call to action. It is to say that our state has a horrible vaccination rate. The nation has a horrible vaccination rate. We look at it and say, well, you know, we'll get there maybe eventually, or maybe this is just the defeatism of looking at it and saying, this is just the way things are now. I've almost said that myself to certain people, but really what it comes down to being is, is that I don't think that children going to the hospital should be the norm because we're unwilling to wear masks, get vaccinated, and take care of their future. That's not the price I'm willing to pay for freedom. The Delta is a mid-map media production. You can check us out on at the Heartland Pod on Twitter and Facebook, as well as heartlandpod.com. 
You can check out Glassroom Hive at glassroomhive.com and check me out on Twitter at glassroomhive. And finally, I want to thank all the doctors, nurses, staff, and scientists that have worked so hard and diligently during this pandemic. 